Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. For five weeks now, we've been making a particular kind of journey, a journey of suffering and sorrow alongside our friend Job. Job, the oldest story we have, is a story about a man who lost everything, a good man who, according to the opinion of God, was a blameless man. He was blameless, upright. He feared God and turned away from evil continually. And yet, as we see in the first two chapters of his story, despite how he had ordered his life, despite how well he tried to live righteously, he still lost everything. And then after the first two chapters, begin a new section in the book of Job, 29 chapters long, from chapter 3 to chapter 31 where Job opens his mouth and begins to lament and rant and rage against the universe because of the condition of his life. He asks hard questions, lots of them, about what justice really is and where God can be found. And does God have any plans of answering for the way the universe has been arranged? While he's ranting and raging, and we might just call it grieving, over all that he has lost, some of his best friends attempt to comfort him for a while, and they do well for a while. On the ash heap, they keep their mouth quiet, and they're simply present with him. And in their silent presence, he feels their strength. But as soon as he opens his mouth and begins to question God, as soon as he begins to doubt and shake his fist up at heaven, they begin to be nervous and they begin to argue with Job and, and they have these debates, three cycles of debates in which they charge Job with surely doing something to deserve the plight that he's received in life. And after all those 29 chapters of back and forth, arguing, debating about what justice is and is God fair, they make it to chapter 32. And from 32 to chapter 37, another friend shows up on the scene, and he doesn't do much more to, to move the dialogue along. He makes it, in some ways, even worse. He comes down on, on Job's friends for not defending God well. He comes down on Job for being self-righteous and trying to defend himself. But this whole time, God has been silent until last week. You may remember that when chapter 38 opened up, God showed up in court to cross-examine Job. And in his cross-examination, he takes Job on this whirlwind tour of the universe, and he shows Job mysteries that Job had never considered. He shows Job the complexities of life 
And while Job is thick in the mire of his own suffering, he begins to recognize that all around, everywhere in the known universe, God is constantly present and at work doing something, watching every realm of the created order. And at the end of that long speech by God, the first of two speeches, Job responds. And we left last week with these words of resignation from Job. He had been humbled, and these were his words. In chapter 40, we hear these words from Job. See, I am small. What shall I answer you? I I lay my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, and I will not answer. Twice, but I will proceed no further. And we see Job begin to shrink back away from his position. After all of his raging, all of his ranting, he begins to shrink or or disappear I am small I spoke and I spoke again and maybe I should never have opened my mouth so I'll zip it I'll keep it quiet you know when we suffer at any level really it's possible for us in our woundedness and in our suffering to simply want to shrink to just disappear Especially if you become aware of the enormity of God's good world and how many things are happening in that world and whether or not it looks good or, or, or experience, your experience is good in it, you begin to see how big the, the world is around you and your small life seems to be insignificant and there are days when you just want to erase it, to put your hand over your mouth and not even talk about it. And that's where Job is, except Job Job expresses something that we all may feel from time to time, but God doesn't let him disappear. See, the the way that we typically interpret the book of Job goes like this. Yeah, a good guy lost a bunch of stuff. Uh, He argued with his friends about it. He shook his fist at God. God showed up, made a big speech, then he humbled himself, and at the end of the book, later in chapter 42, we hear Job make these, these, these words. He says, you know, I, I, I used to hear of you by the hearing of the ear, but now I, my eye has seen you, so therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And, and, and we hear that verse that's coming in a little while, I repent in dust and ashes, and we assume that what Job means is, you know what, I'm so sorry, I shouldn't have said a thing. You've got bigger things to deal with, God, and so I'm just going to erase myself. I'm going to self-erase. I just, I hate myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. I should have, I take it all back. But that is not, beloved, is not, is not the point of the book of Job. We're going to get there in just a moment, but what you have to understand at the beginning of this sermon today is that God makes two speeches and at the end of the first one which we saw last week Job is humbled he's like I'm I'm small I I can't say anymore I just want to self-erase that feeling that we all have from time to time but God at the end of that says nope no sir no 
that's, that's not going to happen. I've got some things to say, and you've got some things to hear, and we're not finished here. And so we pick up the story that changes everything in chapter 40, verse 6. Then the Lord answered Job again out of the whirlwind, Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you. And you declare to me, will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? He says to Job, nope, not so fast. We've got some more work to do here. He says, gird up your loins like a, like a man. You know, in the ancient uh, day and in some places today where robes are still used to gird your loins means to reach between your legs and grab the back part of your robe, pull it up, and tuck it into your belt. And men would do that so that they could do work. They could squat, and they could work, and they could run, particularly run into battle. See, the phrase that's used here, gird up your loins like a man, the word for man in Hebrew is geber. Geber is a word that means man, yeah, but it also specifically means warrior or hero. Right here at the beginning of chapter 40, God is introducing language to describe Job in heroic terms. Gird up your loins like a geber, like a hero, for there is work to be done. What does it mean to have a, a heroic faith? What does it mean to practice your faith in the way that God would refer to it as heroic? Because sometimes I, I think we project into the world this image, this idea that to be faithful means you have to be quiet and docile. It means that you have to kind of just take it on the chin. It means you have to just kind of grin and bear it, that God doesn't want you to rage against injustice, that God doesn't want you to make some noise when something in God's good, orderly universe is out of order. We sometimes think that being faithful means just grinning and bearing it, right? But what if, what if heroic faith is faith like Job? Faith that demonstrates itself loudly. I love the language. Can you thunder like God? Well, for 37 chapters, Job has been attempting to thunder until somebody would give him an audience, right? Can you thunder like God? And, and for 37 chapters, he has been fierce. And, and God says, gird up your loins and be a hero. Be fierce. Well, he, he continues. He picks up in verse 10, not only gird up your loins, but he says, deck yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself. Check out the regal language, the royal, the royal language. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the 
overflowings of your anger and look on all who are around who are proud and abase them. Look on all who are proud and bring them low. Tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them in all the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then I will acknowledge to you that your own right hand can give you victory. Listen, at first, we tend to interpret that passage as, look, you can't do these things. You can't look down on the righteous. You can't thunder like the voice of God. You, who are you? However, God is introducing language here that is regal language that we have heard elsewhere. There is language here emerging that reminds us of another place. And I told you a couple of weeks ago that in the book of Job, there is an uncanny um, connection to a weaving with the eighth psalm. In Psalm chapter 8, we hear these words, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than God and, and crowned them with glory and honor. Here in the book of Job, there is once again another connection to the book of Psalms. In Psalm chapter 8, God says, deck yourself, clothe yourself in a way that is fitting to who you really are. Crown yourself with glory and honor. Do you not remember that you have been made just a little lower than God? You don't shrink away. You, you don't disappear. You don't cover your mouth and attempt to self-erase. You have been made a little lower than God. You've got some work to do. Get up, get dressed. We've got some business to take care of. You see, when we suffer, it is so easy to forget who we really are because when we are wounded, sometimes all we see is the wound. And when we've lost, all we see is the loss. We get up in the morning and we look in the mirror and all we see is the abuse. Or, or all we see is the job that we didn't get. All we see is the abandonment that has not healed. All we see is the divorcee looking back at us in the mirror. All we see is the addiction and we forget the down underneath all of the pain and loss, all of the Joban suffering that we may have experienced underneath it all, we are still created in the, in the image of God and crowned with glory and honor according to God that we have been made a little less than God. I think that what, what God is trying to do with Job and with us is what the Apostle Paul was trying to remind us of when we who are in Christ at times forget that we are vulnerable and broken and we are weak and we can sin and we can fail. I think in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this is what he said. He said, but we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God. And does not come from us. So we are afflicted, yeah. 
in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven into despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Beloved, I want you to know that if everything in your ordered life has been disordered, if you have lost everything that ever mattered or had any value to you, you need to know there is one thing that cannot, cannot, cannot be destroyed, and that is the the treasure that Christ has put in you. It It is imperishable. And here in the book of Job, our ancient brother in the faith is learning from God that that there may be something to him beneath all the suffering and there may be something fierce and kingly and royal that is worth still standing up to proclaim. God says to them, listen, there's more to you than you see. You will not close your mouth. You will not recoil and self-erase. And then God does something that blows Job's mind. He introduces two characters at the end of the book of Job. Now he's talked about animals all along, pairs of animals and uh, on this whirlwind tour of the universe of the cosmos. Uh, God showed all kinds of animals, uh, the, the, the eagle who, who resides in the rocky crag, the, the goat who gives birth unknown by men, right? He talks about animals all along, but there are two that stand out as super animals. They're like, like extraordinary demonstrations of fierceness, fierceness. The names are behemoth. And Leviathan. Two animals that, yeah, are part of the animal world, but in many ways don't even belong to the animal world because on earth there is not their equal. And God is trying to to show Job by holding these two animals up, there may be something about their inherited fierceness. The created design that God had in mind when God made them, the inherent fierceness and strength that is worth paying attention to because there is an inherent fierceness of faith in Job. We begin reading in chapter 40, verse 15. God says, look at Behemoth. Behemoth. Look at Behemoth which I made just as I made you. Check out that language. Look at behemoth whom I made just as I made you. It eats grass like an ox. Its strength is in its loins and in its power is in its muscles of its belly. It makes its tail stiff like a cedar. The sinews of its thighs are knit together. Its bones are tubes of bronze. Its limbs are like bars of iron. It is the first of the great acts of God. Only its maker can approach it with a sword. For the mountains yield food for it, where where all the wild animals play. Under the lotus plants it lies, in the covert of the reeds and in the marsh. The lotus trees cover it for shade. The willows of the wadi surround it. And then listen to this. Even the river, if the river is turbulent, It is not frightened. It is confident 
Though Jordan rushes against its mouth, can one take it with hooks? Can one pierce it in its nose with a snare? He says to Job, consider behemoth. Now behemoth is, is kind of like this super animal. What behemoth really means is, is like, a, like a super beast. And when many people think of behemoth as described in the text here, many people think about a hippopotamus. It's not a bad correlation. The hippopotamus, the hippo. Because the hippo is a fierce beast. In, in fact, it is the baddest beast in the bush. Let me just put it that way. Because the hippo has an aggression not to be periled or not to be, not to be compared. Uh, it's unparalleled uh, in all the beasts of the jungle. Because it, it, it weighs 4,000 pounds, right? And even though it weighs as much as 4,000 pounds, it can still run 30 miles an hour. It has teeth about a foot long with, with this mouth that can open four feet wide and a head of 500 pounds, which creates a kind of clamping power, a chomping power of about one ton. It's said that hippos kill more human beings than any other animal in Africa. That's 500 people per year are killed by hippos. They're that aggressive, that fierce. And God is describing the hippo as this mighty, powerful beast with all of its unparalleled strength. And the way he begins is look at behemoth who I made just as I made you. Just as I made you. And he goes on to talk about the strength of behemoth. He talks about his muscles and his legs and his loins and his capacity to be undaunted. And it's ironic because earlier in the book of Job, Job actually asks questions about his own strength. He laments by saying, where has my strength gone? In one place he said, I wish I had legs that I was able to stand on that are stronger than my own legs. And God, in this second speech, knowing that he's speaking to a man who, who has no legs to stand on, knowing he's speaking to a man who just wants to self-erase and disappear, he he brings up behemoth because God said, I, I made behemoth just as I made you. Job has strength that Job doesn't know about. When God looks at you and your weakness and me and my weakness, when, I mean, when we're at the very bottom and we, have no, we, we can't even stand because of our own, our own struggles and failures and our own vulnerabilities, you need to know that God sees a strength in you that not even you see in yourself. Consider Bohemoth, because I made him just like I made you, Job. And he continues, and he, we pick up the reading in verse uh, 18. Its bones are tubes of bronze, its limbs like bars of iron, it is the first of the great acts of God. Only its maker can approach it with the sword. And then down in verse 23, even if the river is turbulent, it is not frightened. It is confident, though Jordan rushes, its rushes against its mouth. Right here, it's, it's said that 
behemoth, who is one of the first great acts of God, embodies this strength that has been there from its beginning. There's a Jewish tradition that says that behemoth was created on the same day as humankind, which makes Job a little bit like, uh, like behemoth's friend. Not just friend, but twin. You see, he stands there in the river, and the river can rage against behemoth. And he stands strong. He's undaunted. He's not even threatened by it. And for 37 chapters, God has watched Job stand in the turbulent waters of this storm that he's in, this river of suffering and loss, and he's still standing. And what Job is trying, God is trying to do with Job is demonstrate to Job that there is something in behemoth that I also see in you. So stand. He does the same thing with Leviathan, the other great monster or monstrous being that is introduced. The Leviathan is called the twisting one. And a lot of times we think of crocodiles because of the way the scriptures describe Leviathan. But it's really more than a crocodile. It's more than, than just an alligator. It's, it's more of a mythological, ancient mythological kind of sea monster of the deep, right? Uh, very commonly referred to and known in the ancient Near Eastern world. But the way God describes it here in his second speech as he's trying to get Job to not self-erase is right here in chapter 41. Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down its tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? Will it make supplications to you? Will it speak soft words to you? In verse 12, I, I, I will not keep silence concerning its limbs, or its mighty strength, or its splendid frame? Who can strip off its outer garment? Who can penetrate its double coat of mail? Who can open the doors of its face? There is terror all around its teeth. Its back is made of shields in rows, shut up closely as with a seal. One is so near to the other that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They clasp each other and cannot be separated. Its sneezes flash forth light and its eyes are like the eyelids of the dawn. You skip down to, to, to verse number uh, 26. The sword, though the sword reaches it, it does not avail, nor does the spear, the dart, or the javelin. It counts iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make it flee. Sling stones for it are turned to chaff. Clubs are counted as chaff. It laughs at the rattle of javelins. Do you know what's going on here? He's introducing to Job that this creature that has been created as kind of this kingly, regal creature of the deep who, who defends its domain is almost impenetrable. It describes its armor. It's the armor of a geber, a, a hero 
which is the very same word used to describe Job, a hero. And so God says, look, if you pay attention to the way it's been constructed, to the way I constructed it, it was designed in such a way as to not speak calm words, but to breathe smoke and fire. And this is how the ancient Leviathan was known by the ancient Near Eastern world, as one who doesn't speak calm words, but spits fire, which is what Job has been doing for 37 chapters. Job has been spitting fire in every direction, smoke and fire raging without any filter whatsoever, like Leviathan. And what's more, Leviathan is described here at the end as one who darts cannot destroy, javelins, arrows cannot destroy, clubs cannot destroy. And if you pay attention to the earlier parts of the book of Job, those are some of the very same words that Job used that the Almighty has sent his arrows against me. The enemy has sent his, his darts to stick within me and I cannot overcome it. And here God is elevating Leviathan with the same language because Job is still standing. And here in the second speech given by the Almighty after the first speech in a whirlwind tour to the one who is now humbled and broken and I'm small, I just want to be quiet, I want to disappear. He lifts up these two magnificent creatures who are created with such strength in their design. Could God destroy either one of them? Absolutely. And he makes this point, that, and it's almost as if we, we typically interpret the scripture, Job, can you destroy Behemoth? No. Well, then until you can, keep your mouth shut. Uh, Job, can you defeat Leviathan? No, you can't. You can't put a hook in his nose? No. Well, until you can, keep your mouth shut. That's typically how we interpret the story. But there's another way to interpret this, and that is, can God destroy either one of them? Yes, but God doesn't. God doesn't destroy Behemoth, and God doesn't destroy Leviathan because God delights when God's creatures live into the design that God had in mind for them. So Behemoth stands in the river and the river cannot overcome it. Leviathan takes on spears and javelins and not one will destroy it. And Job makes it this far, losing almost everything he has and in the same way finds company with these more than animal animals, these super animals these who are just above the other fray and just below the divine. And right there, beloved, is where humankind exists. And God finishes his speech. And Job, now having heard the second speech, opens his mouth to give a reply. Now, I told you a moment ago a little bit about that reply. It begins in chapter 42, and we hear these words. Then Job answered the Lord, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge, you say? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Here and I will speak, 
I will question and you will declare to me, you say, well, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself in dust and ashes. I told you a moment ago, there is more going on here than meets the eye. Job sees God demonstrate that in the most magnificent of creatures, there is rage. Leviathan doesn't speak soft words. Even if behemoth and Leviathan were to come against God, God could destroy them, but they wouldn't stop coming against God. They, in their very nature, would still rage. And now Job, having seen what he sees, offers what is the apex of the entire story. It is the pinnacle verse of the entire book of Job. I had heard of you by the hearing of ear, but now my eye, my eyes have, have seen you. Beloved, I will remind you that of all the questions Job asked, he didn't get one question answered, but what he got was better than answers. What Job got was the perspective that he and God were closer than he had ever imagined. That he, at the end, because he stood and raged, because he did not close his mouth, because he insisted on coming forward like behemoth, he insisted on snorting fire like Leviathan, because of that he has this relationship with God that he would not have had had he simply shrunk away and disappeared and the most telling line of that, that last verse, I despise myself and I repent in dust in ashes. Now right here is where his story and maybe yours and mine will change forever. So typically when we read that verse, I despise myself and, and I repent in dust and ashes, we, we hear it and it sounds to us like he's saying, oh man, I really blew it. I should have kept my mouth shut. So I take it all back. Sorry, but he's not. When he uses the phrase, I despise myself. In Hebrew, what it means is I recant. And I take it back, I, I recant. But what is it he's recanting? He also says, I repent. But in Hebrew, the word is, I change my mind. That's what Hebrew, the word in Hebrew means, as I change my mind. But what is he changing his mind about? Well, the answer is in the last phrase. Dust and ashes. Now, dust and ashes, you and I may think that it simply means the, the ash heap upon which he was sitting, that we're made of ash and dust, and there he is disintegrating, and I repent in dust and ashes, like the traditional form of repenting or grieving, and we, we assume that he's in the dust and ash. But in the Hebrew, there's a nuance. I repent concerning dust and ashes. Dust and ash is an idiom, a phrase, that recurs throughout the Hebrew Bible in at least three very prominent places. 
that describes humankind. Dust and ashes is a phrase that represents human beings. We're made of dust and clay, right? And dust and ash represent kind of a, another way to describe humankind. Back in Genesis, when Abraham is, is arguing with God or bartering or bargaining with God about Sodom, he comes to God and says, look, I want to make this deal with you. What if I find 50 righteous people? Now, I know I shouldn't. I know I'm kind of on dangerous ground. I am but dust and ashes. And in Abraham's mind, it simply meant I'm nothing. I'm dirt. I'm not worth a thing. And even in the book of Job, when Job uses it earlier in the book, around chapter 30, he refers to himself as dust and ashes. He says, the Lord has stuck me in this mire, and now I become dust and ashes. In other words, he used to think that by being dust and ash, by being human being, it means that he is crushed, he is nothing, he is worthless, he is dirt. But here in chapter 47, after everything that he has seen, after everything God showed him in the first whirlwind tour and after all that he has seen in the second speech from God where he holds up behemoth and he holds up Leviathan and he says, I've created these just as I have created you. After all of that, Job says, I recant. I change my mind on dust and ashes. I change what I used to think about humankind. Because I no longer think that humans are meant to stay silent. I no longer think that we are, when we see injustice, supposed to simply put our hands over our mouths. I no longer believe that I cannot have an audience with my God. But like behemoth, I will stand in the river and let it wash over me until it takes me down. And I, like Leviathan, will spit and snort fire and smoke until I have nothing left to say because God has welcomed me to do it. Job's life changed because he did not shrink away. God wanted him to show up. God wanted him to show up and be present. And beloved, God wants you to do the same. You cannot have a relationship with God unless you show up, even in the midst of your struggle and suffering, to say to God, I love you and, I, and I, I recognize that this universe is made by you, but there's something wrong and I gotta let you know. And as you express your own um, rant, your own lament, your own grief, understand that it is clearly according to God an expression of heroic faith. Heroic faith. There was an 18th century or 19th century rabbi who said, every person should carry two stones in their pockets. And on the one stone, it should be inscribed, you are but dust and ashes. And on the other stone, it should be inscribed, for you, the world was made. And he said, you should use both throughout the course of your life. And Job learned at the end of this story, yes, he is just dust and ash, 
but it was for the dust and ash that the world was made. And God welcomes dust and ash into relationship. Now, Miriam Williamson had, has a word to say about this inclination that we have sometimes to shrink away and not live into our God-given identity. And this is what she said. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure, Job. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I? Who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small, Job, does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure or insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We're born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us. It's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As, as we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. This is what Job does for me. This is what Job does for me. He standing and, and not shrinking, he living into his identity as as a, as a royal child of God, created just a little lower than God, Psalm chapter 8, he living into that role, even in his pain, calling out to God, helps liberate me and you to recognize this is, this is how God works and, and not the other way. That we don't clean our lives up first before we come forward to God. It's God's grace that has made us clean. You see, it's been said that Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about us. Jesus came to change our minds about God. Now, next week, we're coming to a, a verse in this story, and we conclude the sermon next week in a powerful message that I want you to be a part of. But we come to a place where after all that just happened, after Job said everything he just said, I changed my mind about the way I thought human beings exist. I've changed my mind about the way human beings interact with God. After all that he has said, we find God saying these words. He turns to his friends, the friends of Job, and says, none of you spoke of me what is right as my servant Job has. My servant Job has spoken of me what is right. Next week, I want you to join me as we conclude this story, as we see where this journey goes. But for now, I just want to stop and, and, and ask, is it possible that you're hearing this kind of news for the first time and it just rings as good news to you, as gospel to you? Because maybe you've been hiding away a part of your life or the whole thing from God because you assumed 
that in your uh, broken state or your incomplete state, you're not welcome. Job begs to differ. Behemoth and Leviathan beg to differ. God begs to differ. God loves you just as you are, but loves you too much to leave you there. So our call is the same as the call of Job. Do not shrink. Stand. Gird yourself like a geber, like a hero, and demonstrate heroic faith by being present and honest and real with God because God already knows the real thing anyway. Maybe today you want to pray a prayer that sounds something like this. God, for what it's worth, here I am. I take the risk today of actually showing up and opening my heart to you. I've hidden away a part of my heart and and, and honestly, God, part of me has wanted to simply self-erase for some years now. But I hear the echoes of Job in my ear and more so I hear it in my heart. And I, God, I, if you can accept him and all of his loss and brokenness, will you accept me? I yield myself to you today. I humble myself and confess to you that on my own I am not enough. But if you will help me stand, then I will follow you Lord Jesus, wherever you lead. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now if you prayed that prayer, sitting right where you're sitting or driving right where you're driving or wherever you are on your treadmill, if you prayed that prayer just now, you need to know that the God who made you fierce has heard you. And I want to hear you. Share this with somebody. Share it with me. Share it with a friend that you have prayed a prayer that has begun a new relationship with God because you're going to need some company on this journey. Call one of us at the church. Any one of your pastors will be happy to talk to you about what it means to take a next step of faith. In the meantime, wherever it is that that step takes you from here, may Christ go before you to prepare your way. May Christ go behind you in the days that you fear and feel like retreating, shrinking, disappearing to encourage you one step further at a time. May Christ go to your right and Christ to your left, abiding closer than even a sister or a brother. May Christ go above you on the days when dark clouds roll in to remind you there is one above the clouds who at the end of the day has the final word. May Christ go beneath you, girding you with confidence and removing all forms of fear. But mostly may Christ go in you, transforming you from the inside out until your hearts beat in rhythm with his. Amen.